Hey, what's up, 1115? Yes. Hey, welcome to Union Chapel, everybody. My name is Cole. I'm one of the uh, 180 pastors here on staff, which is just a fancy way of saying that I, I love hanging out with high schoolers and middle schoolers and eating pizza and having a great time. Okay, I've got the best job in the world. <laughs> welcome to Union Chapel. Everybody on the line, I know a lot of people are watching online. Welcome today to our worship. Today we are continuing this series that we began last week called Then Sings My Soul, where we will be talking about hymns and the timeless truths of these hymns. Now, the church has kind of undergone a culture shift in the past 20, 30 years or so when it comes to, to music, the, the, the music that we used to worship, the music here on, on the radio and, and the music we listen to. Uh, you know, we used to sing these things called hymns that we're talking about, and now it's sort of shifted into this new era of, of music. Uh, which is a great thing. We Here at Union Chapel, we believe that's awesome. You know, we believe that God's always moving forward in the ways that he reaches the world, and, and we want to go with him on that. But during this series, we, we believe that looking back on these hymns, these, these songs that we sang for hundreds and hundreds of years, we want to look back and, and pull out these almost holy themes in these hymns uh, so that we can gain faith for the future. Okay, the, the reason that we, we look backwards is so that we can gain faith for the future. So that's the, the point of this series, and I'm so excited uh, to be able to be here this week, week two of Then Sings My Soul. The song that I have chosen for us today to discuss is the song known as the doxology. Has anybody ever heard of the doxology? Yeah, everybody over 30 just raised their hand. <laughs> I, listen, I have a special respect for hymns in my life. I grew up in, in, in a church where, you know, the choir director, he got up there behind the big, you know, they have the podium. We use stools now. We, they have the big podium, and, you know, he stands there, and he has his book. He says, you know, turn, he's in his robe. Turn your hymnals to number 124. You, anybody ever have that before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the organ plays, and then we, we sing, and he stands up there and does his thing. You know, it, it, it always scared me a little bit, but I, I have a respect for it now. Um, but, but I like hymns. I have a respect for hymns. And today we're going to be talking about the, the doxology, which is a, a simple, a very simple four-liner um, about praise. It's a, a short four-line hymn about praise written by a guy named Thomas Ken back in, in 1709. Now, Thomas Ken, he was a guy that, he was a teacher um, of the faith. He was a, a professor, and he wrote hymns in his spare time. And, and the, the doxology, it wasn't originally written as a, a standalone hymn as we sort of know it today, but rather it was written as the ending to all of the other hymns he wrote. So what he'd do is he would write these songs, you know, the verses, the choruses, all that, you know, I don't, I don't know much about writing music, but he would do it. And then at the end of every one of those songs, you would sing the four lines of the doxology, the, the, these, these pieces of praise, that, the, these four parts of praise that, that you sing in the doxology. Um, and it, it was sweet. And Thomas Ken, he even wrote one time that he believes every person, every believer, every, every person that believes in Jesus should both start their day when they wake up with singing the doxology very passionately which would be awkward, and ending your day with singing the doxology very passionately, which would be kind of awkward as well. But the whole point being that he believes you should posture your life in this position where you should always praise. And so today, I just want to read this. I know many of you probably know this, the lyrics to, to this song, but I want to read them to you. We're going to put them on the screen 
here. This is what, these are the lyrics of the doxology. Here's what it says. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So as we, what we can deduct from reading the hymn here, it took us about 10 seconds. It's real simple. It's, that's, I, I like things that are short and simple. Uh, we can deduct that the, the song is about praise, right? It's just a, declara- a short declaration of praise. It's a short declaration of praise. And so, you know, today what I want to do is I, I just want to talk about praise. I think it, 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 praise is something that when we learn to posture our lives in this constant state of praise, what we're going to talk about today, it's truly, it's truly life-shaking. It's life-changing when you learn to praise God in your life. And so before we get into that, I want to define what the word praise means today. When we talk about praise today, this is what we mean. We're going to throw this on the screen here. Praise is the expression of love for something or someone. Okay, write this down. It's a good point. Praise is the expression of love for something or someone. Praise is what I like to call a prophetic picture. Okay, I'm going to explain this to you. That's a big, really intricate, churchy word. Okay, a prophetic picture is something that happens in our physical world, so something that you can see, hear, taste, touch, smell. I think I hit them all. Is that right? Something that happens in our physical world that has implications in the spiritual realm. So something happening in, our, in the physical realm that represents something happening in the, the spiritual realm. So, for example, baptism is a prophetic picture. We love to baptize people here at Union Chapel. Anybody ever been baptized? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good deal. We love to baptize people here at Union Chapel. Baptism is a prophetic picture. It's something happening, something that you can see, something that you can engage in here in our world that has implications for that person's spirit, what's happening in their lives. What we do in, in baptism is normally you have a pastor or you know somebody that loves Jesus standing behind the pool, and you have what we call a candidate. It's a pretty official word for somebody that's sitting in the tub. Um, and... The pastor takes the person, they dunk them in the water. Sometimes if they're a little extra sinful, you leave them in there for a couple seconds. That's a joke. And then you bring them out, okay? And so that's a really weird thing. If you think about it, baptism is like it's a really, really weird concept. Like if you knew nothing about Christianity and you knew nothing about Jesus and you saw somebody get baptized, you'd be like, that's a fun pool game, you know, like. They're being mean to each other. That's great. They must be siblings. You know, it's a weird thing. But really what it is, it's a prophetic picture of what's happening inside that person's spirit. When you go down into the baptismal, I like to, I like to say that you're drowning your old man. When we dunk you, the old part of you, the, the representation is that the old you is dying. And out comes a new you. It's, it's just a, a picture of what is happening in your spirit. And I believe that, that praise is also a prophetic picture, what I'm, what I'm calling it today. It's something that happens in the physical world that has implications in, for that person's spirit. So when, when we're doing worship, you know, we love to worship here at Union Chapel. We love to go crazy and clap and cheer and, and praise God. And when you see somebody, you know, raise their hand up in the air, you know, raise two hands or do the carry the TV, carry the couch, um, any of those things, you're, see, you're not seeing somebody that just wants attention. You're seeing somebody that is doing something in the physical realm that represents something happening in their spirit. Because with their spirit, they're saying, God, I love you. God, I need you. 
God, I, I, just, I thank you for everything you've done in my life, Lord. I give my life to you. When you see people get on their knees and worship or when people you know, come up here and bow down, it's, it's not just something flashy. It's, it's those people saying, Lord, I love you. Lord, I surrender to you. Lord, I give it all to you. The praise is a, is a physical representation. It's an expression of your love for God. And today I want to argue that I believe that praise is one of the most powerful things in your life when you learn to posture yourself in this position of constant praising of God. When you are constantly expressing your love and your gratitude for God, I believe that it will completely change your life, completely change your life. And so today what I want to do is, is, so what we normally, I love to be different. You guys know me. A lot of you know me. I love to be different here. What we normally do at Union Chapel is, you know, we throw the verse on the screen, we stand, we read it, um, and then we talk about it. Three-point sermon is, it, you know, it's not completed unless it's a three-point sermon. You know that. Um, Two-point sermon is not really a sermon. I don't know if you knew that or not. You got to have three points. Um, but what I'm going to do today is I'm going to walk us through, I want to walk us through an entire passage. This is actually my favorite story in the whole Bible. I want to walk us through this passage. It's a story about two guys, two guys who got caught in the middle of what was probably the worst day of their life. They got caught in the middle of probably the worst circumstances you could ever be caught in. And I want you to see what happens in these two guys' life today. But before I get there, I, I want to ask a question. Who in the room today, by show of hands, has ever had a bad day? Come on. Listen, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Everybody's had a bad day, right? Everybody's had a bad day. I'm going to tell you how every single one of my bad days starts off. It's just horrible. I, I need prayer. Every single one of my bad days starts off like this. I wake up in the morning. I, you know, I shower, I'm getting ready, I put my clothes on, I brush my, my tooths, as I like to say. Uh, you know, I, I go in the kitchen, I get some coffee ready, I make some coffee, I pour it in my cup, I set it off to the side. Uh, you know, I get my computer, I put it in my backpack, I, put my, you know, I, I come into the office, my office is right over here if you ever want to come say hi, I love talking to people. Um, come into my office, I unlock my, you know, I, I sit down, I log into my computer, I get ready for my day, and, and, I, and I reach for my coffee. Some of you know where I'm going. I reach for my coffee, and I realize that my coffee's not there. And in a matter of about a millisecond, I go from being the happiest person in the world to the maddest person in the world, and it ruins my day. Anybody ever had that happen? Come on, somebody. That's a bad day, amen? It's a bad day. Listen, this morning, I just, I've, I've been telling people this. I probably shouldn't. Spencer, you know, the cute guy that's standing here, he's, he, he's singing. He, listen, I'm not kidding you. He ruined my day. I'm just going to tell on you right now, Spencer. He, we're, we're getting ready in the other building. We're praying for our services. You know, it's real powerful. God's moving. And Spencer, he bumps me. I got my coffee in my hand, and it spills all over me. And I say, Spencer, somebody's getting it today. <laughs> and so I had to go change and everything. It was bad. So my day's horrible now. Uh, please pray for me. I'm just joking. But in reality, guys, we, have, we really do all have bad days, right? Like for me, we love personality tests here at Union Chapel. Like when you, if you come on our staff, we like run you through rigorous testing to make sure that we're going to like you. Basically, that's what it is. I'm just kidding. But through these personality tests, we've, we've realized that I'm what they call a feeler. And listen, I'm a little self-conscious about this, so don't make fun of me. It means I feel emotions really, really deeply, okay? So if, if somebody hurts me, it's like I'm really hurt. But, like, I'm not like Pastor Greg. Like, if somebody says he could get, 
somebody could say the meanest thing in the world to him and he wouldn't care, okay? Me, I'd go home and cry my eyes out, okay? That's, I'm a feeler. But when somebody hurts me, they hurt me bad. And that causes me to have a bad day. Sometimes I, I get caught in seasons where I don't feel as close to, to God as I should. And that causes maybe some bad circumstances. Sometimes, you know, I, I get caught in bad relationships with people or, or, or any of these things that cause me to have a bad day. We've all had, we've all, we've all had them. We've all been there. And we all will have them, right? And so, again, today, I want to look at, at this story of these two guys that get caught in just that, in the middle of the worst day ever. And, again, I want you to see their reaction. So, today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to project all these words on the screen as well so you can follow along. But I'm just going to read this for us, and I want to walk us through this story today. We're going to start in verse 6. Here we go. Here's what it says. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Persia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia, but again the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Okay, a little bit of background as to what's happening here in the, in the beginning of, of the story. You have two main characters here, Paul and Silas, two guys. Maybe you've heard of Paul. Paul's this, like, super Christian dude that wrote half the New Testament, really awesome dude. Silas is his buddy. Uh, they're traveling around with, with, with probably a group of people. Luke was probably one of these people with them at the time, yet, like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that guy. Um, he was with them. They had some other guys with them. Uh, and they were in this group that traveled around the Mediterranean Rim, and they planted churches all over. So like in southern Europe and in the Middle East, all around that area, just planting a church, planting a church, planting a church, planting a church. They believed that, that planting churches was the single best way to reach the most people with the gospel. That's what they believed. And so they just started planting churches. Maybe they should have called themselves Union Chapel. I don't know. But they're traveling around planting churches everywhere. And so you see here in the story, they're very attentive to the Spirit. They ask God, hey, should we go here? He says, no, don't go there. They say, God, should we go here? So he says, no, don't go there. And then eventually they find out God wants us to go here. And so they head over to a city called Philippi, and we'll continue our story there. Verse 11. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across the land to the land to the island. Sorry, of I don't know how to say this. And somebody was watching online last service, and they sent me a, a YouTube video of how to pronounce this word, and I've yet to to watch it. So I, I'll get back to you on that. Okay. So that that place, <laughs> and the next day we landed at Neapolis. Verse twelve. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. Verse 14, one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth, remember that, who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Okay? What you have to understand about these guys, again, they're traveling around planting churches, but what you have to understand is that they have no plan. Okay? <laughs> 
they just don't have a plan. They, they probably don't have a lot of money. They don't have a place to stay. They're just flying blind, okay? And so they head to, to Philippi. The Bible says they, they get to Philippi, and so they, they, they kind of get together. They say, let's just go to the river. Maybe there's something's happening down there. And they meet a woman named Lydia, okay? Now, the Bible says that Lydia was a dealer of expensive purple cloth. Now, Cole Farlow version, modern day translation of that means Lydia was filthy rich, okay? She was stinking rich. It means she had the big house. It means she had the big lake house, you know, the one with like the inboard Mastercraft boat and the, you know, and the pontoon as well, but not the small one, the big one that you can fit the grill and the party on. They had the three jet skis next to that, but not just that. They had the boat garage too. Like Lydia's rich. You, you get what I'm saying? She's pulling up to the party in the Range Rover with the spinners. Lydia has a lot of money. Does it make sense yet? <laughs> She's got a lot of money. And so Lydia, the Bible says they meet Lydia and she, basically, she accepts Jesus. And so these guys that have no plan, they have no place to stay, great news. Lydia's loaded and she's got a big house. And Lydia says, come live with me while you're here. I want to invite you guys to come and live with me. And so Lydia goes and lives with them. It's a pretty cool thing. The day's going all right so far. Am I right? The day's going well. Let's keep going. Verse 16, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by selling fortune, telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated or annoyed, in other words, that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. This is a really weird sort of passage here. So Paul and the guys, they're out, they're doing ministry now, and they encounter this girl with a, a demonic spirit in her, okay? They, they meet a demon girl. Now, what, you have, it's, it's, what seems obvious is like, you know, Jesus people, demonic girl, they should be, you know, like, at odds. They should be, they're against each other. But this girl with the demon, she's following them around saying, these men are servants of the most high God telling you the way to be saved. Listen, when I first read this, I was so confused. I didn't get it. I didn't understand. What's happening here is that the demon's actually being pretty clever. He's kind of backed them into a corner in, in, in some sense. Because what's happening is that in Philippi, these people that, that have lived there their whole lives, they would have known, they would have recognized this woman as the, the woman with the demonic spirit. And so people knew her as that. And so if Paul were to, pub, Paul and his guys and Silas, they're, they're new people in town with a brand new message about how to be saved. And so if Paul publicly agrees with the woman, hey, what she's saying is right, we are servants of God, it hurts their witness because she's a, filled with a demonic spirit. Does that make sense? And so they're backed into a corner, and Paul eventually gets so annoyed, the Bible says, that he just casts the demon out of the woman. And this, this is what happens next, verse 19. This is where it gets real good, so pay attention. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped, hear this, stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Let me recap what just happened there. So Paul and Silas are dragged into town. They, they dragged them. 
into town. They are lied about in front of everybody. Uh, they're stripped naked. They, they're now wearing no clothes in front of hundreds of people. The Bible says they're severely beaten with wooden rods, severely beaten. And not only that, they get thrown into prison. And not only that, they're in the inner cell and their feet are fastened so they can't even move. Come on, y'all. Somebody say amen after this. This is a bad day. It's a bad day, right? They're caught in the middle of probably what is the worst day of their lives. Imagine this. They're, they're probably bruised, bloody, eyes swollen shut, drool coming out of their mouths, broken bones maybe. They can't move. They can't even move. This is a bad day. Here's a point I want to make today, this morning. There are people, if you were to be able to, 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 to get to know every person here to the deepest level, there, you, you would find out that there are people here in the room today, in this church, that you're in the middle of the worst day ever. You, you're right in the middle of this. Maybe, not, maybe it's more than the day for you. Maybe it's a season where it's a, a week or a month or a year or five years, but you've been in the middle of this, this bad day season for a long time. You're right in the middle of this. Maybe for you it's your marriage. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe your marriage is, is, is going to end, and there's no way out. Maybe for you it's an addiction. Listen, I know people, guys, I know people that are, are, they have addictions, and they can't, they desperately so badly want to stop doing these things that they keep doing, but they can't. It's impossible. They can't stop being addicted to this thing. They're stuck in their bad circumstances. Listen, guys, maybe for you, it's, it's a bad situation at work that you're caught up in. Maybe your family is going through a tough time. Maybe it's a health issue. I don't know what it is for you guys, but, but there are people in the room today who are stuck in the middle of the worst day ever, and you're asking this question, am I ever gonna get out? Will I ever be free from this? God, are you even there? Will I ever be free? Listen, I'm only seven years old in God, you guys. Uh, I, I started following Jesus when I was 17 years old. 17 years old. I'm 24 now. Um, I've learned just a, a couple of things uh, over these seven years in my personal relationship with Jesus. I want to share them with you in, in terms of negative circumstances. The first one is this. We're going to put this on the screen. Is that what you focus on, what we focus on in our lives, in turn will dominate our lives. Write this down, it's good. What you focus on in your life will dominate your life. I'll prove it to you. People who are caught in the middle of these bad days, in the, the middle of these bad circumstances, they tend to, to focus on those circumstances, okay? And what happens when you focus on your negative circumstances is they continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger in your life until they're so big that you can't see anything else. What you focus on dominates. But let me tell you something, church. When you learn to take your focus off of your circumstances and place it on Jesus, guess what happens? Jesus starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger in your life. And when Jesus is the biggest thing in your life, guess what? Your circumstances are minuscule. Your circumstances are so small. Which brings me to my next point that we're going to throw up on the screen is that Jesus is greater than anything you're going through. Jesus is going greater than whatever you're going through. Listen, you, you, you're sitting in the seat today, you're saying, cool, you don't know where I'm at. You don't know what, I'm, what I've been through. You don't know what, what happened to me back then. You're right, I don't, but I'll tell you what I do know is I know that, that we serve a God that is greater, that is stronger, that is more powerful than anything we can ever come across. Amen? Come on, y'all. 
What you focus on will dominate your life. And Jesus is greater than anything that you're going through. I want you to see what happens in this, in this story to these two guys, Paul and Silas. They're stuck in jail. Worst day ever. Verse 25. Around midnight, so the day's not even over. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were, get this, listen to this. You're not going to believe it. Praying and singing hymns to God. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Listen, I'd have been mad. <laughs> I'd have been so mad. I'd have been like, God, what are you doing? I'm here to plant a church for you. Listen, don't judge me. You'd have been mad too, okay? <laughs> I'd have been mad. The Bible says that Paul and Silas were praising God. Praising God. They were expressing their love for God in the middle of the, probably the one moment in their life where they probably felt like not praising God the most. They were praising God, praying and singing hymns, bloody, bruised, broken bones, and they're singing songs to God. It's crazy. Look what happens because of this. Verse 26, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and all the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Listen, y'all, you wanna be free from your jail cell? You wanna be free from the chains that are, that are shackling you? Praise is the key. Praise is the key out. You want to be free from the circumstances that are, that are just entangling you? Your key out is your praise. Is, is figuring out how do I posture my life every single day constantly in a state of praise? How do I get to this point that even on my worst day ever, I'm still singing and praying to God because I know that he is greater, he's more powerful, he's stronger? How, Praise is your key out. My favorite part of this passage is the fact that it doesn't say that Paul and Silas's chains fell off. It says everybody in the prison's chains fell off. How many of you know that, that your praise can set other people free too? Your Listen, you got a family member you want to follow Jesus? Praise God. You, you got a coworker you want that, that's going through some stuff? Praise God. Your praise sets you and everybody around you free. And not just casually, God wants to send an earthquake to shake your circumstances up. He wants to send a miracle in your life. Okay, I'm gonna invite the band to come up here. This is, I wanna end today by asking a question. As we, as we wrap up today, I wanna ask a question. Uh, I, just real simple. I wanna ask the question, why do we praise God? Why should we praise him? Why should we praise God? Why should I give up my life to praise God? Why should I do it? First thing I have is this. We're going to put this on the screen. Is we praise because he is worthy. We praise because he is worthy. When I was 17 years old, like I mentioned, I, uh, I met Jesus for the first time. Now, listen, I had grown up in church my whole life. I had done that thing. You know, I, they, you've heard people say I was born on the, the front pew of the church. I was probably conceived on the front pew of the church. Just kidding, by the way. Um, but I grew up in church my whole life, okay? But when I was in high school, I had two football coaches. I, I played football at the time. I had two football coaches that just decided, listen, I'm going to take Cole, even though they're, they're just a bunch of morons. <laughs> I'm going to take Cole and his, his group of seven best friends, and I'm going to take them under our wing. That's what they said. We're going to take them under our wing, and we're going to meet every Sunday night for four years. And every Sunday night for four years, I went to these guys' house. I ate their food. I watched their TVs. I sat on their couches, and I just didn't care. 
I didn't care. We talked about Jesus, and I didn't care. Until one night, between my junior and senior year, one night, I don't know why, to this day, I, I don't really know why, besides the fact that I, I was just chosen. But Jesus showed up in my life in a miraculous way. I can't explain it. I, for the first time in my life, sitting at a, a dinner table with a bunch of guys, I experienced the love of Christ for the first time. I experienced his grace and forgiveness and his mercy in my life. And I was just completely changed in one moment, guys, completely changed. My heart was completely changed. My vision for the future was completely changed. My, my worldview was changed. My dreams changed. Everything changed because of Jesus. Everything changed because of him. Now listen, let me go on a tangent here for a second. If you, there are probably many people in this room today, many people that you'd say, I wanna have an impact on this world, Cole. I wanna, I wanna see the kingdom come to earth. I wanna be a part of, of, of Jesus reaching people. I wanna change the world. That's probably many of you in the room today. I wanna give you the most effective way to change the world. Right here it is. Find somebody young and impact them. Find one or two or three people that are young and start making an impact on them. I promise you, you will see no return on investment than if you take a young person and walk them into what it looks like to, to be a mature follower of Jesus. There's no better return on investment. That's the way you do it. If you wanna be a part of changing the world, find a young person and change their life. That's just my secret. I wouldn't even be standing here today, you guys, if it weren't for two random people that said, I'm gonna, we're gonna take these dumb high school teenagers and we're gonna do our best. <laughs> we're gonna do our best. And it worked. Jesus changed my life forever. Jesus changed my life forever, completely. I love my wife to death. She couldn't change me like Jesus changed me. I love, you know, Caleb, he's my coworker. I love him to death. He could never change me like Jesus has changed me. And so let me tell you, church, I believe that he is worthy of our praise because of that. Because there's nobody that, that can change you like Jesus can change you. Amen? Here's my second point. We, we praise because he loves us. We praise because he loves us. Last week, I was, sur I was surfing through YouTube. I love looking at random YouTube videos. It's maybe an addiction. Pray for me. I don't know. Um, but I love just surfing YouTube. And I came across this video of this girl. I keep forgetting her name. I wrote it down here. What's her name? Courtney Hadwin. Maybe you've seen this video. It's a video of a girl named Courtney Hadwin on, on America's Got Talent. And Courtney is just this little 13-year-old girl. She kind of stumbles out on the stage. You know, she's about to perform in front of everybody. And she's just so nervous, so, so nervous. Like, she, it's uncomfortable for the person watching the video. She's that nervous. It's, it's weird. She's just, she can't talk. She can't really stand there. She stands there kind of awkwardly. She's very nervous, okay? And so what happened, the judges, they try to, like, console her, like, calm her down a little bit, but she can't be calmed down. And then eventually the music starts. She kind of awkwardly starts dancing. And what comes out of her mouth, you guys, is electric. <laughs> it's amazing. It's unbelievable. And so she sings this song, this Janis Joplin song, sings it like crazy. It was, it's awesome. And if you watch the show America's Got Talent, there's this thing called the golden buzzer that's reserved. It's a button on the judges' table. It's reserved for, like, the best of the best people. You don't get the golden buzzer unless you are, like, one of the top people to ever be on the show. And so she sings her song, and one of the judges reaches over. He hits the golden buzzer. You know, everybody's crying. Everybody's going crazy. There's confetti falling from the ceiling. And 
during this whole video, my favorite part, my favorite part is that throughout the whole video, about every 30 seconds, the camera, the cameras switch and, and they pan to, to the dad, the dad's face who's standing back, backstage. So she, you know, she walks out there, she's nervous, she's freaked out, she's scared. Camera pans to her dad's face. She starts singing, she starts doing really well. Camera pans to dad's face. She, she gets the golden buzzer, she's skipping all the rounds to the last round. Camera pans to dad's face. And guys, every single time the camera shows her dad, his face said it all. Her dad is just looking at her with this, 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 this I love that girl. This smile that says, she is mine. I love her. If anything comes against her, I'm going to put an end to it. Everything I own is hers. Why? Because she's mine. Because I love her. Every time the camera pans to her dad's face, you just feel this, oh my word, I am in love with this girl. And listen, church, every time as I'm watching this, this, this video, it's late at night, every time the camera pans to this dad's face, I just hear Jesus saying, Cole, that's how I look at you. That's how I look at you. Cole, in your, in your worst day ever, when you're scared, when you're trembling with fear, I'm smiling upon you. When you're, when you're killing it in life, Cole, I'm smiling upon you. When you have a golden buzzer moment in your life, Cole, I'm smiling upon you because I love you. I'm crazy about you. If anything comes against you, I'm going to put an end to it. Why? Because you're mine and I love you. Listen, somebody in the room today needs to hear that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And listen, church, I believe we should praise him because of that. Amen? Amen. He loves you. Here's my last thing. I believe we should praise God because it unlocks us from our jail cell. You heard me say earlier, uh, I believe that praise is the key to your cell. Praise is the key to your cell. You're stuck in something. I believe that praise is the key to your cell. Write that down. That's good. And so what I want to do today is I want to do something a little different. Usually what we do is we, we, we sing a song and we get out of here. Today I want to sing two songs. And I want to challenge you guys to, to stick with us. Stick with us during these two songs. And I want to, I want to give you this challenge today, God, guys, that if you have never lifted your hands in worship before, why don't you go ahead and try it out today? If you, if you listen, I, I half expect these front stool things to be full of people this morning. I want to challenge you to praise God like you've never praised him before. Why? Because he's worthy, he loves you, and it's the key out of your circumstances. I want to challenge you to praise God like you have never praised him before during these last two songs today. Now listen, I want to keep going with this. If you've got something that you brought here today, guys, listen, church shouldn't be a spectator sport. We shouldn't just show up here, sit in these, these seats, watch, and then leave. I believe the church is a, a body, a living, breathing thing that we should participate in. When you come here, I, I believe that, that you're coming to receive and give and everything. And so I just want to say this. If you're here today and you brought something in with you, you have some baggage, I want to challenge you with this. Don't leave until you've dealt with it. Don't leave this room until you've dealt with it today. If you've got something that you need to deal with God about today, don't leave until you've dealt with it. Because listen, today, guys, I believe that praise is going to set some people free in this room. Yes, right here, right now. We've been seeing it happen all weekend, and it's not going to stop here. We've been seeing it happen all weekend, and it's not going to stop for this service. God's going to set some people free in this room today because of, because of your praise. 
So Lord, we just thank you, Jesus. We praise you today, God. We praise you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for your love. God, I just pray that the Holy Spirit right now would fall in a more powerful way than it ever has, God. I pray that people will be set free today in the name of Jesus, God. I pray that people holding on to things would be free in the name of Jesus. I, I pray that sicknesses would be healed in the name of Jesus, God. I pray that people stuck in jail cells, God, they'd be let out today. Why? Because we praise you, God. We praise you. We praise you. And so today, Lord, I, I pray that you would just impress it on somebody's heart to go above and beyond. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless their praise with freedom today, God. We love you so much, Jesus. We love you, we love you, we love you. And we give this moment here to you, Lord, and we praise you and it's in your name we pray.